Hey everyone, thank you for joining this week's episode of Sound Bites. Today we have a really good guest, Paul Pritchard, CEO of Overdose Digital. Uh, they're a digital commerce anti-agency. They take an approach that they call complete commerce. Paul and his team have delivered really great outcomes for some extremely amazing brands that are household names that you know you might even be wearing right now. And we're really, really excited to have you on and hear your story. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Uh, just a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for uh, dealing with the time zone thing too. Uh, you get used to it, right? When you when you <laughs> place at the bottom of the world, you you've got to you got to play ball with everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We really appreciate it. So, hit us with your background. Like, what got you to where you are today? Like, we we saw your history, we saw your past. Really, really fascinating. But what even happened before that, and what got you on the path you're on now? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could look at LinkedIn, and it would paint a picture. But it's the the stuff that you can't put on LinkedIn. I think that that gets you to where you are, right? So. For all of my sins, uh, I spent a long time in advertising. Um, I got there through through uh, a passion for graphic design. Um, way back when, you know, digital was such a was a it was a twinkle in someone's eye at that stage. So I was really into graphics. I was really into brands. I was really into you know making stuff, um, and that kind of led me through this path of of uh, wanting to bring that into a commercial world. Um, I got some really great opportunities through people who just wanted to take a chance on a young guy who was, you know, had a big mouth and, uh, and, and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of ideas. Um, and I needed someone to kind of help shape that. So I, I kind of landed in advertising by accident. Uh, you know, I had my first, uh, job I was made redundant from, uh, that was kind of a shock when you're in your twenties and you kind of don't know mm. what to do. And, and I landed in a contract role at a, at a local advertising agency that was part of the BBDO group. Um, and through that, just just grew into management. And I found out I was a better people manager than I was a graphic artist. Mm. So that, that was the area that I um, really excelled at. And people keep taking a chance on me to do that. And so I just I, I jumped around ad shops and uh, had the pleasure of working with some pretty cool uh, creative people, uh, making some pretty crazy campaigns. Um, you know, if I look back at the things that we did, you know, we hijacked um, the, the the launch of the iPhone three. Um, New Zealand was the first country in the world because of time zone to get the iPhone three, and we hijacked that launch for um, for one of our clients uh, and put a, a guy at the front of the queue. Right, they were queuing up overnight. It was the middle of winter. You know, we put this guy at the front of the queue, and then we sent him all the stuff. Like he got a haircut there. He did had an exercise turn up. He did all. It was crazy. It was you know it was guerrilla marketing. Um, on a, on a big scale and we got a lot of press mm. for that. So that was, um, that was one of the things that I guess kicked off my desire to want to act on a global stage mm. and then working with some of the bigger networks, you know, being able to, to kind of punch well above our weight, right. When you're from New Zealand, right. There's 500 people, there's more sheep than people. Um, so, you know, you, you gotta, you, you've gotta, uh, you, you've gotta have something special in order to be noticed. Um, and that's what we strove to do, uh, with some of the campaigns and the, and the creative, the creativity that we had. And that got me to a point where I'd kind of seen everything and done everything and met everyone in this small industry and really got a bit tired of it. Right. Got a bit mm. tired of the um, of the continual climb and the fight because you always had to fight. And particularly as we were, you know, I led out digital for most of the agencies that I was in. Um, and, you know, when 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 you left there with a fifty thousand dollar budget to come up with something crazy, 
every time it was it became harder and harder right because sure it's such an emerging space um and so i took a bit of time off managed to get to south by southwest uh in austin in in 2019 um was flying solo at that stage so i had no attachments to any company uh, i was there by myself uh, and that just opened my eyes to just a whole network of people right both from mm. from asia pacific from where i'm from um and in the us and made a lot of connections there and it really helped solidify the thing that i really wanted to do which was become part of something that gave us the freedom to grow and the freedom to do what's right for the businesses that we work with and that's what overdose does um, you know we're a digital commerce consultancy like you said derek uh but more importantly we're a business that helps other businesses grow um and and in my role as a group CEO working alongside, you know, our other founders and, you know, the other leaders in the business around the world, um, the one thing that we have above everything else is freedom, you know, freedom to make decisions, freedom to do the right thing by our people and freedom to, to look at the world through a digital commerce lens and investigate and be curious and, you know, bring things to life that haven't ever been done before. So it, it's super exciting. Um, I love the people side of it. I love the um, I love the ability to forget that technology is there and that we connect humans with other humans. So. That's a really important go. point. That connecting the human piece, like we talk about this a lot, especially in the data space. We start. We're in the space now where we're collecting so much information that it's really easy to forget that at the end of all that data, there is a human. There's a person that you need to make a connection with. And you said something you realized you were a better people manager than a graphic artist. Was that an existential crisis for you? At some <laughs> point did that, did that like all this stuff I've trained for, I'm actually better at something else. How was that transition? Uh, I think it's more that the, the longer you do something, the, the faster or, or, or the more new things come into play and you realize that you just can't keep up, right? Like when you got young kids coming through who have just got I don't know, it's almost magic, right? Like the, the, the ideas, the concepts and the way that they can manipulate pixels, um, you know, there's no way you can keep up, right? And so you've got to, you know, I'm a firm believer you hire people that are better than you and, and that continue to happen. And so, you know, when you when you can't beat them, right, you try and lead them. So that's, that's kind of where it came from. Um, but I guess more importantly, I, you know, I've been really fortunate to have people who backed me into places and roles and trusted me to take on things that were outside my comfort zone and encouraged me to do that. And I want to be in a place where I can do that for other people as well. Never love that. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, um, you know, you've worked at some really impressive agencies, but then you mentioned that you got kind of tired of the climb. And I think I, I worked in, on the agency side for a few years before I moved over to client side. And I was in my early twenties and I just remember feeling like, Oh, I've spent more time with my, colleagues and my friends and my family, they sort of became like, oh, or I guess these are my new friends now. It's because you're getting there at 7 a.m. and then you're working all day and then you're going to cocktail mm -hmm. hour and then you just sort of end up uh, totally immersed in your role. Uh, is that something you experienced also? And then maybe how do you uh, advise folks who are experiencing burnout in that agency uh, lifestyle to either keep going or how do you mitigate that? Well, firstly, I, I mean, that's definitely a young person's game, right? Like when you, yeah. you know, when you work hard, play hard and you really yeah. do. I, um, I caught up with uh, an ex uh, staff member of mine who, you know, we, I, I hired her into a role and she was a, a designer 
for the digital team uh, in one of the, the network agencies I was at. And she left and went to New York. And she went to New York just before mm. COVID. Mm. And we caught up for a coffee because she was back in, in New Zealand. Um, and she said that she worked for one of the big networks, I won't drop names. And she said she was often doing kind of 18 hour days, right? But mm, it yeah. was in New York. She was with a whole bunch of people that were all kind of just throwing everything into it. And they'd work these crazy hours. They put out this amazing work uh, and it went live and, you know, the whole business was proud of it. And that, and, and that kind of ecosystem and, and culture of just striving for getting great ideas up is really infectious, but it's not mm. sustainable. Right. Yeah. So why I think it's a young person's game is because you, you, you have to have a relentless energy that doesn't require sleep, you know, and feed off <laughs> caffeine and martinis, you know, and kind of all that sort of stuff. Right. And you just can't, I, I don't, I don't know about you, but I can't sustain that for too long. Right. One night like that mm -hmm. it takes me a week to recover. Um, but what it does do is it sets up people for success because it does two things. Right. And I'm a firm believer in curiosity. Right. You always have to be learning. You always have to find something that's really interesting and you want to grab hold of that and almost run down rabbit holes to chase it. Um, and that's what that culture breeds, right? Is this, this desire, this passion, this drive to get something done. What it does is it then serves you well later on in life where you can start to choose, right? When choice becomes a bigger thing for you, you know, you've made the, you know, you've made the career jumps, you've got into kind of senior roles and people know you and they respect you that buys you choice. And when you have choice, mm. that's almost harder because mm. you've got to choose what to do next. And I guess now if I look at it, um, I've been fortunate to have a lot more choice in what I do and where I focus my time in our company, you know, we're, we're about 400 people now and we're spread around the globe. And, um, you know, my choice is to make sure that we set up a business that is good for them, right? Safe and supportive. And if you look at, you know, the world that we've been through in the last five years, I mean, it, it, being so global and so connected means that we see everything, right? We see all the sure. movements, we see all the shifts, we see all the focuses move from, you know, from financial to people to, um, you know, to gender balance to all of that sort of stuff that's going out there. And, you know, we have that freedom and choice to do the right thing in that space. Yeah, and that's really important, right? I think you mentioned you were at South by Southwest in 2019. Yeah. And prior to that point, I think you and I had chatted through being a remote office of some of these bigger advertising agencies, you got to operate differently than other people got to. So it, oh, you had a chance to really shape the culture, shape what you guys were working on, try new things, take those risks. Then by the time you got to South by Southwest, you didn't even realize you were staring down the barrel of the world completely changing in a few months. Mm -hmm. And that's right when you decided to start a business. And then you got to try to make the decision of how you balance starting a business while the world's changing at the same time. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if, if anything's constant, it's change. Yeah. Right. And the ability to, to look at change and be excited by it is one thing, right? I mean, most companies are terrified of it, right? You look at catalysts that, that stop companies or move them forward. Um, you know, there's those great stories about Blockbuster and, you know, and, and these businesses that never kind of evolved fast enough, right? We, we have freedom to do what we want. And when, you know, when, when if you look at when we started to where we are now, the technology landscape is just so different. Um, the talent landscape is so different, right? We had to hire local and have people in the office every day. Now we can hire anywhere. You know, I've got people who live in 
Ukraine and India and Vietnam and Philippines and, you know, in Sao Paulo and Brazil, right? Like the world's open, which is fantastic. And I guess the responsibility that comes from that is to ensure that those people have the opportunity of connection that, you know, we used to have when we were all together. Um, mm. and, and I guess that's a big thing. I also think um, when you start something, you don't start it because it's just a, it's a fun thing to do, you know, at, particularly at this point in my career and, and my other founders' careers. Um, you start it because you are passionate and driven and you want to do this, right? And when you want to do something that badly, you, you know, the fight never leaves you, right? And if, if you look at the advertising space as well, the, the same thing happened, right? When you're at the bottom of the world, you have to fight every day to just be recognized, to be seen. Um, and, you know, I'm a firm believer in asking for forgiveness rather than permission. Um, and then we spent a lot of time doing that, um, which is, you know, it was good. You, you said something that was really interesting. Um, you have, I think you said 200, how many employees do you have? Uh, 400. Yeah. 400. All across the world, they come from different backgrounds. We got different time zones. How do you foster... How does your business like foster a culture with such a, you know, diverse and also like distributed network of mm. folks? Like, how do you really hone that? Yeah, I mean, Lauren, I think you kind of hit on that word diverse, right? Um, I'm a believer that we are more often alike than we are different. Yeah. Right. So there are some common things in our team, right? Uh, the industry we work in, the knowledge base, the curiosity that comes from it, right? We try and find the commonalities in there and we celebrate those uh, and we allow the differences to be different, right? There's no point in trying to kind of box everything in. Um, you know, it does, it, you know, it can raise its head sometimes because there are, you know, very big cultural differences in, in different parts of the world. But I guess my, my main focus is finding the commonalities first and foremost, you know, I think we've done a lot of uh, kind of small acquisitions of businesses, right. And enrolling in small agencies into ours from, from different locations. And that, that phrase, you know, we're more, we, we are more similar than we are different is, is probably the leading one that I try and use because mm. it's true. Right. And if we can focus on that, then the connections are stronger. And if we can highlight what makes us the same, then, you know, I, I think we can overcome all of the differences out there as well. It doesn't stop us having to kind of lay some ground rules, right? I mean, you know, being having a company in the US when Roe versus Wade was repealed, uh, that was really challenging for us, right? Like we have, you know, where I come from in New Zealand, we have free healthcare, free education, uh, and we do a lot to support, you know, families and, and the like. And to see, you know, to see that, you know, coming from where I am as a backward step uh, for something, you know, for, for women's rights and, and you know, and, and people's rights was really challenging. But to find a company and people running a company that was very similar to us and set up, you know, a whole new healthcare um, system to ensure that people had the support that they need from the states that they could get it from uh, was just impressive. Right? That was a make or break for us. And it was a make 100% because we were so similar, right? in the way that we thought so. And I think as a leader, you get the opportunity to put things in place for your people, no matter where they are, to yeah. push forward the views that you like, independent of what their individual nation or state's views are doing. It's like, well, because we don't have this here, we have the opportunity to deploy it to make that um, make that work for our people. And one of the things like the differences of people and the commonalities, since there's so much commonality among humans being humans, 
what we find is when we have different people with different views that have different backgrounds and different educations all looking at a problem differently, like from different angles, you end up with really unique solutions, right? If we put four electrical engineers on a problem, you might have a very similar view of how they're looking at it. And then you bring somebody else, someone like Lauren, who's got an advertising background, an agency background, she's going to see this problem from a completely different angle as a completely different perspective, which could generate new solutions that you wouldn't even think of because of someone else's life experience. And I think that's really, really important, especially as the world gets more global and the new as the customer bases grow and the potential expands, having a good ability to deliver solutions that include lots of different people is going to be really important. Yeah. And, and that's that connection point that you talk about, right? Like we've just redone our vision and values. And one of the core principles of the core behaviors that we celebrate is the concept of together and together isn't mm. what it used to be, right? It's not people sitting around a dinner table or, you know, sitting in a boardroom, it's people on video from around the world. And, and that concept is designed to give people voice, right? And, and, you know, while we are, there are lots of similarities that, that, independence of thinking and that that um that that you know taking away that fear of speaking is so it can be so powerful for teams to then bring great new ideas right and you're right you know like we're combining you know uh engineers with designers with you know marketers and you know seo people and data people and and you kind of smash these guys together and they all have different perspectives Mm -hmm. but what they're all striving to do is come up with new things to help that client grow and when they do that right when they've got that common goal you know that's where the magic happens right where you allow that that kind of thought process to just you know magically kind of come together you know people are incredible at at bringing things to life so what do clients come to you with what is it when a typical engagement what does that look to you what is a client coming to you with and then how do you deploy a team to solve it yeah so i mean we're, we're a digital commerce consultancy, right? And, and we design, we build, we launch and we trade online stores, right? And we do that for businesses locally. We do that for ones that only trade in, in single countries or single currencies and, and ones that trade internationally and cross border and, and all that sort of stuff. So we often, we have two things that really we tackle mostly, right? One is businesses that have legacy technology architectures that need to modernize it and have to do that in a way that is sustainable for their business, right? Because, you know, you think about change in companies. If it's not managed well or if it's too stark, uh, it can be really um, challenging to survive through that. And so we spend a lot of time working through the right types of technology and and the right uh, ways of implementing that so that we're not breaking things up too hard, that we're actually doing things that are really positive for that. Um, and we spend a lot of time looking around the corner, right, to see what's coming next and to ensure that we're not continually, you know, kind of putting businesses back into the place that they were, which is, you know, exponential tech debt and, you know, an, a restrictive environment that is really hard to manage. So I, I guess you know, we're, we're fortunate to be in a technology space that is evolving really rapidly and that evolution is I guess really focused on usability, right, and and accessibility. So that that's mm-hmm. most of our job. The other part of it is how do you trade in an environment that is just rapidly evolving towards digital as well. So that concept of trading, which is how do I merchandise? How do I ensure I've got product availability? I've got how do I surface that to a customer who is, you know, they've got a mobile phone, they've got their um, laptops, they've got their kids coming at them with TikToks, they're going, I want this and, you know, all that sort of stuff that's going on. How do we help our customers find their place in that world, right? And then you add in 
you know, all of the AI stuff that's coming out now, um, all of the kind of richness of data that you can access. You know, this whole world is terrifying for a business that's been, you know, trading for, for decades, right? So our job is to help them find their place in there. And you can want things to not change. Like you can want like Blockbuster or Kodak or Nokia. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you can want all this thing to stay the same and hope that this quarter was an anomaly and hope that next quarter was an anomaly. But it's not. And everyone, like we've always talked through this too, it's everyone thinks their industry or their business is different. My industry is different. My business is different. And then the internet has proven to all of them that they're wrong. Like every one of them, it's going to touch you at some point. So you need to find a way to optimize and you're, you're not going to avoid it. And it's been fascinating to see we, the Nokia story is really fascinating to me too, but we can talk about that later, but with your client base right now, how have you acquired your current client base? Uh, I mean, first and foremost, I'll, I'll answer that, that point around hope because we, we hope's not a strategy, right? It's, mm. it's, it's exactly what you say and, and you're not in control of it, right? We are firm believers in controlling what you can control. Um, I think that's a rule for life personally, right? You know, too many people think about things that are way outside of their control, just focusing on, on what you can, right? Um, how do we acquire our clients? Well, I think it's probably, there's, there's two parts to it. One is um, we're really good at what we do. And so that word of mouth thing is super powerful. And, and that's a, you know, if you're any business, word of mouth is, should be your number one source of of new business. Um, the second thing is we are, we, we have, Actually, one of my business partners uh, coined it, right? It, it's kind of how, how do you break the algorithm, right? And the internet has an algorithm, right? Like it loves rich, good content. It loves new things. It loves, you know, it loves lots and lots of it as well. And so we've kind of grabbed hold of that and, and just gone, you know, hammer and tongs at creating content, at, at really promoting our people and our clients, just relentlessly, right? We we have a content, uh, you know, we have, we have a, a content plan that is daily, if not twice or three times daily, and that's really pushing out a lot of. Um, it's a vicarious content plan, right? So when you when you're promoting your clients, when you're you know, much like this, right? We we run podcasts, we run events, we, you know, we talk about our people all of the time. Um, and when you do that, when you are a human-centered business with human-centered content, that's what internet loves, right? That's breaking the, the algorithm. Um, and so it's not different to anyone else. It's just relentless in terms of its implementation, right? And I think, you know, a lot of our success is because we have not stood still ever, right? We've said yes to almost everything that's come our way, often making some horrific mistakes along the way. Um, but, you know, you, you know, you, you can't, you can't make a cake without breaking an egg, right? So that's true. Um, I think what you said is really important. And I think a lot of businesses, um, maybe who are smaller, struggle with the content development for themselves yeah. um, because they're so focused on creating that content for their clients. And, you know, they have a, maybe have a hard time prioritizing that. How do you get maybe like smaller brands who don't have the creative arm that you guys have to? you know, get in there, at least start dipping their toe and start creating content at a regular clip. You know, what advice would you give them? Um, I'd say don't deprioritize it. Um, you know, we were, we were pushing out content at night, sitting on the couch after putting kids to bed and mm -hmm. just spending an hour, you know, posting Instagram stories, posting LinkedIn posts, you know, doing that sort of yeah. stuff. 
Um, and you know, there's no time like right now to do that sort of stuff. Content's hard, right? Like, like creating new content is super hard. So don't, right? Use existing stuff, right? If you're a brand that has products, then you've got product imagery, right? You've got reviews, you've got, you know, you've got stories to tell, right? You've got your brand. So, you know, just be relentless in talking about, you know, what it is that makes you tick and why you exist and what you're for. Um, and, and that relentlessness will pay off because it's about, it's as much about quantity as it is about quality these days, right? There's so much content out there now and there's so many great tools for creating that content, right? An iPhone now is, you know, as good as, you know, what, what red cameras and, and sound equipment and all that sort of stuff, right? Like the, the accessibility you add in generative AI and like, there's nothing stopping you from doing interesting stuff. So it's just, it just comes back to that curiosity and that desire, right? Like if you, if you're a small company and we see it a lot with the smaller agencies, there's two things. One is, um, not wanting to let go of that ownership mentality, right? So not wanting to let other people in. And there's something about having skin in the game that just, just changes your mindset. So we've done that, you know, we have a cap table of 24 people in our business now, and that's because we want people who put their heart and soul into it to reap the rewards as well. And I think if you're a merchant, you know, finding ways to make sure that your people are on the same journey that you're on, right? Regardless of, you know, who owns you or, or kind of, you know, what your goals are, ultimately, you need to bring people on that journey with you because without those people there, right, to take, take their own ownership of it, um, it's super hard to do it by yourself. It really is. You know? And I think aligning people on that journey, you mentioned 20, what, 24 people on your cap table is pretty interesting. We'll have a conversation about that offline. But when we were in the corporate world, anytime that you saw one person or multiple people doing something that was obviously stupid, like this is a smart person doing something stupid. We're like, oh, they have an MICP goal associated with that. Like there's a financial incentive that they are doing to achieve that, despite the fact that that goal no longer meets a broader objective, but they're not on the big cap table. So them doing that to get their bonus on the MICP mm -hmm. is a valuable, rational outcome for them versus if they were grabbed into the big cap table, they wouldn't make that decision. They'd be like, well, I'm going to forego this because this is the answer that's going to help grow the whole, whole company. This is going to raise all the boats. And it feels like that's part of the culture that your team has tried to deploy to make sure everyone's aligned. Yeah. I mean, what you just described, that that's a company problem, right? Like you shouldn't be incentivizing your people to act in, you know, not in the best interests of the company. Right. And you should be rewarding people for success that is tangible and real. Right. I've been in too many, you know, I've been invited into too many environments where you've got these kind of crazy long-term incentive plans with, you know, options to buy something at a certain price in case it lists at something and you know there's all these kind of promises and what ifs but none of that's really tangible you know this concept of of paying people extra to do their jobs i think is is interesting we've gone down a different route we have every staff member in our business has a um, what we call a retention bonus right they get paid 13 months a year so at, the, at their anniversary they get paid an extra month and that's designed really to just go if we're successful, you should be successful. You don't have to do anything more than just turn up, do your job, right? And if, you know, if you were left to just do your job and not expected to go above and beyond to then get to the next level, imagine how many people could be great. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you retain more people, you create a better environment and they're more like you, you mentioned earlier, when you create a safe environment with diverse mm -hmm. ideas that can come to the table without being punished for those things, 
you get amazing results that you wouldn't expect otherwise. What challenges have you experienced on the way? Like you've grown from small to very large in terms of HR numbers in a short period of time. How do you effectively do that? And what challenges do you experience as you're going down that path? Uh, I think the challenge that you always face is that you don't know what you don't know, right? So you, you know, we, we have this very healthy mix of, you know, humans that have massive appetite for risk, right? And just want to run at 100 miles an hour, right? And then we've got other people who are a little bit more, um, you know, just, just probably a little bit more adverse to that stuff and want a little bit more of a calm approach to that. And so mixing those two, I think, is a, is a really good blend, right? Like my, you know, my my major business partner, his, his growth mindset is just off the chart, right? Like it's almost ADHD in terms of its desire to want to do new and big things, right? And that's just that's taken us on this, this crazy journey. And my job is to put a hand on the shoulder and go, this is fantastic. Have we thought about this? Or mm-hmm. maybe we should wait another day or another week just to see if this is, um, you know, this is going to work out type thing. And sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned HR, right? That's probably the thing that we didn't get right for so long. We had a, you know, we have a belief that we just let good people go, right? Good people go out and do great things, right? lead them to deep water and let them swim. Um, now that's great if you've got people who can handle that, but what happens when you grow is you get a much more diverse array, array of people with different capacities for that. And so being able to put things and systems and structures in place that allow those people to put their hand up and go, hey, this is uncomfortable for me. Um, we didn't have that for a long time, right? And so sometimes you you kind of burn away the edges of the business by doing that because you just, you fry people out. Um, so we learned that probably the hard way when we had, you know, a couple of people who were great, who just didn't, couldn't survive it. Um, and that was, you know, that's pretty sad when you know that there's so much potential, but they, you know, you, you've done too much to kind of harm their, their, their mental capacity in that space. So we put some pretty serious HR um, practices in place, new tool, we do a lot of work with our staff around uh, surveys and asking them for their feedback, both one-to-one and anonymously. And then we use that to implement new things. So look, it's a journey that never stops, right? We're never going to get it 100% right and we're never going to be done with what we're doing, but we're always interested in understanding what is the next thing that we need to do, right? So we do things like we have a parental policy for our people just to give them money when they leave and money when they come back so they can cover things like childcare and stuff like that. Um, Mm. You know, we've got, you know, we're dealing with regulatory um, environments in different countries that have very different perceptions of healthcare and, um, uh, and paid time off. Right. And, and stuff like that. So we try and standardize as much of that as possible. Um, And we're fortunate in that we're a global business with very little restriction in terms of, leadership and and hierarchy and stuff so people can move right we've managed to get someone living in new zealand to to the us um and she's there now she's bought a house very stoked about that um you know we've got people who move um into company into country quite often and they can try out different parts of the business as well right we've got people working our client success who are now project managers you know we've got marketers who can you know go off and become different things so i think that flexibility and freedom is really key yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. Um, 
And I'm just curious, because you have such a global footprint, are you seeing some common threads between like problems that clients have? Like, are they coming to you and you're like, oh, that sounds like somebody over in, you know, in this office. What are you seeing on that side? Um, I think talent's probably the big thing, right? And I think everyone's facing that, that, that challenge of flexible working and, you know, where people work from and that sort of stuff and how we, how you support that, that cultural connection. Um, and that's, that's common with every person I talk to, right? And we've got businesses that are food prep businesses, you know, they do food delivery, um, meal boxes, that sort of stuff, right? They need people in the office to literally production line this stuff out, right? And then they've got marketing teams that exist, you know, all around the country um, and bringing those people in and giving them the context of what happens every single day is super important for that company because they need to understand what they're marketing and in particular the, the um, you know, just that physical nature of bringing this stuff together, right? If you're making a food, a meal kit for families, right? You, there's got to be something extra that goes into that, right? It's not just the ingredients. It's the kind of construction of it. It's the ease of making it. It's the love that goes into selecting things, all that sort of stuff. You can't market that unless you see it every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the same for us, right? Like we've got full flex in our business, but our best people are at their best when they're together. And that's, you know, you, it's just inarguable, right? Yeah. Human beings need physical connection in order to regenerate the battery, right? And to, to make things work. So we've got to find better ways to encourage that stuff. And I think all of our businesses have to do that as well. Yeah, like the, those water cooler moments, a lot of times you, you don't even realize like the, the cubicle drop by where you're just brainstorming about something. How many just amazing ideas come out of those yeah. little moments that now almost have to be manufactured, right? To be able yeah. to have something similar how do you have a digital whiteboard how do you plan out those sessions where ideation can just happen to be able to create good outcomes and to your point of the food prep there are people that have to be there they can't work remotely so you won't be able to truly deliver the value prop in an effective mechanism unless you've been a practitioner unless you've actually moved that shovel at some point to see this is why it's special and this is the value we get to deliver I think a commonality that we've seen with a lot of our client base is I think in general, people struggle to truly relay their value prop, what they do, who they do it for, and then how and the why they do it. Like really building that sentence together without, you know, they can do an elevator pitch that's a Empire State elevator, but yeah. not, you know, not a Marriott elevator to where you can really deliver that message. And I think starting there with a lot of people unlocks a lot for an engagement. Do you guys see that same thing or are your clients pretty honed in that point? Um, I, I mean, I think that's probably one of the most, uh, it's probably one of the most polarizing things that happen within a culture, right? Cultures happen because people make it happen, right? And generally it's really not from leadership. It's from kind of the groundswell of, of people coming through and owning that, right? And tenure really adds up as well that that adds a lot to people who've been there for long periods of time right they can kind of dictate that i think zeroing in on your you know what matters to you we don't call them values we call them behaviors um and when there's only five of them right and when we've trust me i've rewritten this stuff like a thousand times over the last um kind of you know five six years uh because trying to get it right is really hard um and the easiest thing to do is to get something like ChatGPT to go and write that sort of stuff, right? But it's not human. So we evolved ours a lot because it had to change based on who we've become, 
right? Not where we've come from. And I think there's a lot of businesses that struggle to go, this is why we started versus this is who we are now, right? Now that doesn't mean you let go of everything that that mattered to you on day one, but what it does mean is that you have to make it more and more relevant for a larger audience, right? Who are more diverse and who have different needs. Having that ability to talk to our team anonymously and getting all that feedback really started to crystallize the need to go out and be very, very simple about who we are, what matters to us. Um, and I'm a firm believer in my role anyway, that repetition is everything, right? Like I have to repeat messages over and over and over again, often for years so that people get sick of hearing it. But as soon as I start it, they understand exactly what it means, right? And our major, our reason for being is to create a safe and supportive environment for our staff so that we can build value-based relationships with our clients and with our partners, right? And I've said that, I don't know how many times, like just everyone's bored of hearing it, but it's true. <laughs> no, I think that's really important. And um, I'm sort of curious about what you think the future is looking like. We've talked about generative AI a few times in this conversation. What trends are exciting you in this space? Yeah, look, I, I mean, just those two letters, right? AI, that's... Just it just carries so much, I guess, weight and and kind of fear and mm -hmm. you know different connotations. I mean, the reality is it's here. It's always it's been here for a very long time. You're using it already. The reality is, you know, and, and it will fundamentally change the way that we do business. Right? It will make things easier. It will build new skill sets for people who are you know who are already doing fantastic things. I think about the the process of design. We don't actually create content right we don't come up with ideas and execute them in new content we don't have a photography studio we don't have a sound studio we don't have any of that sort of stuff and we've stayed away from it because it's such a subjective and really quite a costly investment for us but generative ai now right like the image manipulation sound manipulation video manipulation um, and augmentation is just so it's new and it's early days but it's so powerful now um, and, you know, for those people who are really interested in it, it's just a whole new space to jump into and learn new skills. And, you know, as our, one of our fundamental behaviors is curiosity, you know, we really celebrate anyone who's coming out with that. Um, I also think um, the accessibility of technology is going to continue to get easier and easier, right? And that's a good thing because that cost of ownership side of things for businesses is just, it's crazy, right? Like the, the, some of the licensing costs for some of those big platforms was just it's just astronomical right it's just not right um you know you look at our customers they collect that they, they um collect transactions and customers and they do this every single day right and everyone who is anyone in the tech space wants to click that ticket mm -hmm. and that's you know mm -hmm. that's ultimately not right you know that's a for a merchant that's a race to the bottom right because you're just shaving and shaving and shaving and shaving and shaving um, and so that's going to change. That will ultimately change over time. Yeah, all those rent seekers like yeah. that make SaaS platforms that are like, I can grab three points of that person's margin. And then you do that 30 times and you're gone, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the thing about AI that's fascinating for us is it's the worst it's ever going to be right now in this moment. Yeah. And then tomorrow, that's the worst it's ever going to be. And when you think about how these models get created, there's a concept called transfer learning. So you're using the huge heavy compute to build the model. And then what you end up doing, not to get too down to the rabbit hole of a neural network, but you blow away the last couple of layers 
And then you only need to retrain those because all the foundational stuff is already there. All the scaffolding is there. You can fine tune and fine tune and fine tune. And the results you get are really outstanding, which are going to create, a, well, it democratizes the tool set. It creates a diverse tool set that are specific, application specific. And it gives the power to people that are making solutions and solving use cases that they're closest to. So we're really fascinated by that outcomes. I agree. But I also worry that today it is designed to race to the middle, right? So it's a, mm. at the moment, it's an aggregation tool, right? Like if you look at anything to do with large language models, right? They're trying to learn and they're trying to aggregate and they're trying to get to a point where it's an absorption model, but everyone's trained to run straight to the middle. And I, I like what you said, what, the way you talk about it, right? Where you, where you are trying to find diverse ways to break it apart, right? We start to shave off the bad bits and you try and find the kind of the foundational bits that you can build on. It's like building yeah. business, right? You don't, you don't keep building on top of something that isn't going to be successful. You just need to understand why and what is going to happen. I think, uh, you know, you're right. Today is probably the worst it's going to be and maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, but over time it will become so baked in that you won't even know it's there, right? There are other big challenges to deal with, right? Like, you know, the um, environmental costs of processing yeah. and, and the privacy stuff, right? Like we've, we've got clients now and we have our own policies around what you can and can't put into AI, right? Mm. That, that proprietary information, that kind of confidential stuff, that kind of what's special to me, why would I want to share it with something that's going to then kind of use it to, you know, aggregate out there. Um, so it, it's a really interesting space, but the fact that people are in there and they're playing with it, right? I, I actually had lunch with someone yesterday who said, as soon as ChatGPT came out, I used it to write everything. Mm -hmm. And that was about five months ago, right? And now I use it to write one thing only, and that's a newsletter for my child's um, rowing club. Because huh. it, it's, it doesn't, you know, it's great for that because it helps, you know, populate content really, really well. And it's quite generic. But for me, it just takes away me, right? And that's yeah. what you can't do, right? You can't give yourself to it too much so that it takes you away from it. And there are tools now, people are trying to solve that problem in that you take the main core model of Llama or GPT-3, GPT-4, mm -hmm. and then you use a tool like Stack AI to take your own works, deploy that as a knowledge base, and then kind of throw them into a blender to try and get a little bit closer. But I, yeah, I think it's just going to be fascinating um, over the next couple of years. Just to think of like that tool was released at Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving, uh, but end of October, early November of last year. Mm -hmm. It's not been out that long. And in no. the meantime... Everything has changed. And we talked about, you know, what do we take versus what do we leave behind? And it's kind of like, I'm a, you probably can't see, I got a Bruce Lee hanging out in the background, but it's like, you know, you take what's useful, abandon what's useless, and then you add what's uniquely your own. And I think that's going to be the beautiful part is when people start really adding what's uniquely their own to it. And then we get like, like trees propagating, you get this diverse fauna of all these different trained models versus the homogenized McDonald's, mm -hmm. Chipotle, you know, Banana Republic, TV, you know, store all in every city right next to each other, because that's not fun. You know, having all the different. No, but it's safe, right? It's, it's safe, right? Like you know, you're going to go to a McDonald's and you're going to get Big Mac, and it's going to be the same no matter where you it's go. It's probably right? going to taste good. And yeah, it's going to be fine, right? It's going to be fine, and so <laughs> and we need we need fine, right? I think that that striving for perfect is the thing that kind of kills businesses, right? Um, 
So we have to be comfortable with being okay sometimes to be able to take that next step. And it's interesting you, you talk about kind of what's useful and what's useless, right? And that concept of one man's trash is another man's treasure type thing. That's where the interesting stuff comes in, right? Because what you may find useful and useless, I may find the opposite, right? And yeah. that's that. What I hope is that we don't lose that decision making, right? We don't lose that individuality that allows us to, to choose within that, that we we keep choice alive in there. Yeah, I think that's that's right on. So Derek, Lauren, why don't you ask is, the last yeah. question? You typically I typically ask it, but I'll yeah, you, you actually grab that one more. So yeah, this is one of our favorite questions. We gave you a heads up on it. Um so we covered a lot of ground today, covered Gosh, everything from how you built your business to growing it over mul you know, multiple continents, how you keep your culture, how you solve problems for your clients. But when you look back, if you could have dinner with yourself and really give advice to you at 18 or 25 years old, going to pick which one you like, what would you say to that person that would help them along their journey? Again, without, without changing your journey or anything like that, but what advice would you give that person? Uh, the first piece of advice I would have given my, um, probably my 22 year old self was just go to Tahoe on that ski mm -hmm. exchange and just do it. And I didn't. Um, and that one of those things is the choices that you make now don't have to dictate what happens next, right? Like you're not, mm -hmm. there's no predetermined way of doing things. So say yes, as many times as possible is what I tell myself, right? Don't that the fear of what you don't know is far, far less than not actually finding out. Um, so say yes, first and foremost. And, and you know, the, I guess the, the second thing is, by God, learn how to manage money. Just be yeah. smarter, you know? Gosh, they don't teach that in school. No, it's it's they, so weird. They, it's like yeah. this black box. You know, you want you get your first job and they're like, here's your 401k. You want stock options? You're like, I don't know. Do I, <laughs> do I want those? Um, and so it's, it is really frustrating that you sort of have to learn by failing and doing a few wrong things to figure yeah. out how to do it properly. Yeah. yeah. But I, I am think, curious, yeah. why didn't you say, why did you say no in 22? Oh, I'm just lots of personal reasons, you know, and, mm. and it would have been, it would have been the greatest adventure. It was with, with one of my closest friends and I just, I pulled out at the last minute and I shouldn't mm. have, you know, and, and you know what, you look back and you go, all of the reasons that I said no meant nothing two years later. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. so I guess that's that, you know, that, that confidence to leap in and say, yes, I think is there's not a lot of things that you're going to do that are going to really risk everything, right? Sure. Even if you think they are. So say yes. I, so related to that, I think to that point, say yes to more things, have more experiences. And I think a lot of times people think the consequences of those experiences are are higher than they are. Like even work-related stuff. You're like, oh, I, I, I can't go to this soccer game. I can't go to that because I have this thing I need to deliver. But literally no one's even going to care about that thing. Quick side mission is... After a very important life event, the next day I flew to Eindhoven, Netherlands for a customer meeting. I shouldn't have done that, right? Like, you know, looking back at it, I, I was like, big life event. And it's like, oh, all right, you, you guys got, I got to go. And I flew to Eindhoven. Looking back at it, couldn't even tell you who I met with when I was there. Don't even remember. And I missed a lot of stuff because of it. And you think you should say yes to more important experiences with people that matter more. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think, and it takes... 
I know people who should know better who continue to do that sort of stuff, right? Mm. The, the work will always be there, right? Problems will yeah. always wait for you, right? So taking time out today to get yourself right for tomorrow is far more worthwhile than trying to tackle something when you're not ready, right? Um, and also, you know, we, and, and this doesn't change, right? Like people fear putting their hands up and asking for help or at least mm -hmm. finding that trusted space where you can go, hey, I really need, I really need someone to just talk to about this sort of stuff. So I, you know, I hope that if anything comes out of this conversation that people go, shit, I should go and talk to someone about that because you hold stuff in and it stops you from being great. And, you know, and as you said, Derek, you know, you flew to Eindhoven and now you can't remember why. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I guess we do have one more question. Um, yeah. We typically like to ask, yeah, we typically like to ask, you know, when you do need to take a break from the project and, and the work, you know, what books are you reading? What podcasts are you listening to? What's, what's on your playlist? Uh, that's, that's a challenging one because it, it, I don't listen and read a lot of books. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I listen to yours. I listen to about five of episodes of it, just oh, to, you know, obviously, obviously to really understand what it was and, and really enjoyed it. I think these types of stories, are they don't get told enough, right? You don't hear enough of them. So that's really important. Um, I do, you know, I subscribe to The Hustle, which is the HubSpot um, yeah. daily newsletter. It's, it's pretty good. Lots of bite-sized information. Um, but I actually, in order to reset my mental health break is to be away from everything, to do one thing mm. that takes my mind off it and I can only focus on it. So I, I play football, I play soccer. Um, oh, I still cool. do. And that's my mental health kind of moment because when you're running around with a bunch of old men trying not to get, you know, smashed, um, <laughs> it's the only one thing you can focus on, right? Like all those problems and, and, and things like that. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what I use to kind of just reset as well. Yeah. I think that's great because like, especially in, in our field, we're always so connected to our devices. We have to be. So it's nice to find an excuse to not even have a phone near you. You can't have that. You know, you have to be really plugged in. So yeah. Love that. Well, Paul, this has been really great. We covered a lot of ground. It was really, really great hearing your story, hearing about your business, hearing how you're growing it. And then again, all the advice you've given through this show has been fantastic. So thanks so much for joining. Thanks for dealing with the, uh, the time change to be able to make it happen. And we look forward to talking to you soon. So have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks so much.